May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. I believe this is episode 21 of season two. Uh, but it's also the fourth episode of our Christ and the Nations uh, series. And we've got a great guest for everyone tonight. Yeah, it was great to uh, finally connect with Pastor Tobias Riemenschneider. Now, is dude, it Riemenschneider? It's Riemenschneider, but okay. perhaps. But my question is, was it Tobias or Tobias? How do the Germans pronounce that? You're looking at the wrong well, guy. Well, I, I called him Tobias a bunch of times. So Yeah, I did a bunch. Yeah. Even when I even when I welcomed him in German, I said Tobias. Yeah. I think I got it wrong. But yeah. uh, he's a very gracious man and didn't correct my German. So Well, and it was nice to finish up the series with an interview with him because um there was the the Frankfurt Declaration, which we will link to, uh, and his book on resisting tyranny we'll link to as well. Um are not only a theological basis for the things we've been discussing, what is the nature of Christ and his relationship to the state, for example, but Pastor Tobias really went through this yeah. as a pastor, as a Christian man. And, and and in a very lonely place, too. I mean, super lonely. We thought we were alone here in Canada. Yeah. But uh, the Germans, there's very few faithful pastors there. Yes. So I think our listeners, uh, viewers will be encouraged by that and uh, strengthened not only um, for today, but whatever comes down to pipe and to testify to God's goodness. I mean, I was inwardly just rejoicing at multiple points, just in God's kindness mm-hmm. and his care and his provision through a tumultuous time yeah. for his people. So I hope people are encouraged. You can go check us out, dominionpress.ca. You can subscribe to our, you get articles, a couple weekly articles. Our podcast is hosted there. Follow us on Twitter, uh, Dominion underscore press. You can find the Dominion podcast on Twitter as well. And we hope you enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy. Willkommen zu unserer Dominion Podcast. An diesen Abend Tobias Riemenschneider ist unser besonderer Gast. Willkommen, Tobias. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was really good. <laughs> My father speaks a little German, and I asked him to, to write a, a, a greeting for, for the beginning of the podcast. So I hope that wasn't too cringeworthy. No, it, it was it was actually really good. I understood every word. So <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And and you may have understood the words. Hopefully, they were the correct words in the right order. <laughs> Mostly. All right. <laughs> well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, brothers. Yeah, we are excited today to have our brother, Pastor Tobias Riemann Schneider. He is the pastor of the Evangelical Reformed Baptist Church in Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, he is married to Nicole, and he is a father of three children. Uh, before serving as a pastor, he was a lawyer, and he is known to us primarily as the author and the initiator of the Frankfurt Declaration, which we hope to discuss today. Uh, he is also the author of a recent released title, Resisting Tyranny, a Christian Response to Government Overreach. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting um, Brother Tobias, when he was at the Church at War Conference in Waterloo, spoke briefly. Obviously, our church um, was, we signed the Frankfurt Declaration when it came out. I was sharing with Pastor Tobias, we have a young man attending because he found our church 
you know, through the website. And uh, we just thought it'd be great to have him on and discuss not only the last three years um, and thinking through as we wrap up our series of Christ and the Nations, the, the relationship between the church and the state, but how we can be faithful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ moving forward. And there's a, there's a, we share uh, much in common doctrinally, but we do come from different places. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can, you know, get into some of the nuances and, and differences and how brothers and sisters around the world can be faithful in these days. So thank you again, brother. We're happy to have you. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. It's a privilege. So <clears throat> Pastor Tobias is also, we could, we could say he is the guardian of masculinity. <laughs> That's right. With a beard like that. <laughs> yeah, with a beard. And if you, if you heard this brother <laughs> sing, you would feel, you would question whether you were truly a man. Ah. <laughs> Did I send you that clip of him singing? No, a man with a powerful voice. A very powerful voice. I like that. Yes. So um, I wanted to begin, I wanted to begin, brother, by asking you maybe to back up a little bit uh, and tell us a bit about your life and your upbringing. I'm assuming you grew up in Germany. Maybe you could share a bit about that and, and how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can start there. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. So I was, yeah, I was born in Germany. Uh, we moved around a lot, but always within the German borders. Yes. And um, I was, I was born into the New Apostolic Church. Oh. That has nothing to do with the New Apostolic Reformation. It, it's, a, it's actually quite an old church. It, it, it had its origins in the 1830s in England, but it is a false church. Many false doctrines. They don't have the gospel. They have apostles today and so on and so forth. So I was born into this false church. Um, but I thought I was holy. Um, <laughs> yeah, because most, most uh, of my classmates and so on, they, they didn't go to church at all. Mm. And we went to church every Sunday. Mm. So, um, and, um, things really changed. So God really be- began working in my life when I was 18. Mm. Um, I wanted to use my last um, uh, school vacation to go to America, to, to be with a host family for six weeks. Uh, I took my little sister. She was 16. And, um, you know, it, it was it really interesting. We, we um, contacted an organization who was, uh, yeah, that, that, that could connect us to a host family, could find a host family for us. And they found a host family in Florida. Mm was really nice. They were wealthy people, had a had nice swimming pool. So we were really looking forward to mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, and then only, I think, two weeks before our departure, they called us and said, well, something happened. This family cannot, cannot have us. And, um, you know, on such short notice, uh, only one family was willing to take us. And uh, that was a family with seven children uh, in Wisconsin. So a little um, different. Florida, it's not really not the same, right? So um, we were a little disappointed at first and didn't really want to go. Also, you know, when when you're 18 and you're you're not a Christian, you're not really looking forward to seven small children and so on. Yes. Yeah. So, but uh, thought, okay, we don't we don't have any alternative. Let's just do it. And um, we had a horrible flight. Uh, we had to stay a night at, at the Chicago airport. And so it was horrible. Mm. Um, but this host family, those were the first born again Christians I met. Wow. So God, God uh, ordained everything. So we would end up with them. Wow. 
And um, I was very, very proud. I thought they were a little stupid, believing in a six-day creation and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Yeah, But um, I realized they are not stupid. Uh, they just believe the Bible. Mm. And and they not only believe the Bible, but they try to live accordingly. They had family devotions and so on and so forth. And mm. I've never seen that in my entire life. Mm. I knew, okay, you go to church on Sunday, but during during the week. Um so what I what I saw there, what I experienced there, it, it really it it's it stayed with me when I went back to, to Germany. And uh, the Lord began working on my on my soul. And um uh, I really wanted I wanted to have this experience again. I couldn't find that in Germany, so I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's some sort of American faith mm -hmm. or so. So I started to on YouTube. YouTube was quite new back then, but it it already existed. Mm -hmm. It was in the early two thousands, <laughs> and um, I was I was searching for American preachers, mm -hmm. and I stumbled over uh, the shocking youth message by Paul Washer, mm -hmm. uh, this, this famous uh, sermon, and and that's when when I got saved. Wow. Um, I, I he was talking directly to me, and then it, it still took me quite a few years to really do uh, to really make the step and leave the New Apostolic Church. I first tried to to reform the New Apostolic Church to talk to people. Of course, no one wanted to listen, and finally, uh, the Lord let me out of that false church and let me in, in, basically into the church plant uh, that that developed into the church I'm now pastoring. Mm -hmm. So uh, he directly get get uh, he directly. Let, let me and my wife and, and, and consecutively also my mother and father. So they all joined, um, after a few months and we all joined this really good Bible believing oh, praise uh, God. church. It was grace, grace upon grace. Okay. So this is, this is very interesting. I have a bunch of questions about this. Mm -hmm. Maybe something that be, will become relevant, um, as you share your testimony through the, um, the lockdowns. Could you explain the the church in Germany? I mean, my from what little I know, there's a, there's a cultural nominalism. So there's a there's a traditional tie to Christianity formally. But I've spoken with other, I've met other people from Germany, and they very much, you know, there's Christian political parties, and no one's a Christian, and there's churches where no one's a Christian. Could you explain this this to us? Yes. Uh, so we have a state church system, basically. Mm. All, all, about 50% of people belonged, in former times, belonged to the, to the Roman Catholic Church, another 50% mm. to the Lutheran Church or the Evangelical Church, how it's called in Germany. It's basically the, Luther, the church Luther uh, founded, right? Mm -hmm. So I call it Lutheran State Church. Mm -hmm. um, so in all, all, almost 100% of, of the people uh, be, belong to one of those churches, 50-50. Wow. Um, this has changed a lot. So um, it has become really, we, we are really de-Christianized. Yeah, mm -hmm. we are really basically consisting of most, most, yeah, mostly atheists. Um, a lot of Muslims have come in. But um, for the first time, um, just a few years ago, um, it's now that, that, that less than 50% of the German population still belongs to a church okay. officially. So, um, a few years ago, a few decades ago, it, it was almost 100%. Wow. Now it's below 50. So those churches are in, in a in major decline, which of course is not, it's not too bad because most of, of those uh, people never were born again mm -hmm. Christians in the first place. Yeah, they're just phenomenal Christians. Mm -hmm. so it's not, again, it's not too sad um, that this is happening mm -hmm. now. Um, 
but still, still those who, who, who go to a church or, or at least belong to a church because they have been baptized as a child or something mm. like that, um, most of them still belong to either the Roman Catholic or the Lutheran mm. church. And mm. only, only 0.2% of Germans, um, uh, belong to a, an evangelical church in the Canadian American sense oh, wow. yeah, where you can really, really hear the Bible. Yes. Yeah? Um, and, and this also includes a few churches, which are probably not, uh, not really Bible, yes. Bible believing, but it's a really, really small percentage. Right. And, and the difficulty is, so you now have about 50%, less than 50% uh, that belong to one of the big state churches, and they believe they are fine. Mm. They have been baptized as a child. They belong to a church. They go there once a, once a year yeah, on Easter or, or Christmas, mm. and they believe they are on their way to heaven. Mm. Um, you cannot, it is difficult to reach them because they will mm. always say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. And, and so, um, and the rest, the rest, the other 50%, not now excluding Muslims and so on, which also, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe 8%. Or I'm not, I don't want to say something, something wrong. I think some, something about 8% or so, mm. but, but most of, of the rest of the other 50%, they are just atheists. Mm. And, um, and they also have very wrong ideas of, of church because they also only know the Roman Catholic Church and, and the Lutheran Church. You know, and basically what you hear in the media is, well, the Roman Catholic priests, they like small children mm -hmm. and, um, the Lutheran church, they are completely woke. Mm -hmm. So that's what, what people in Germany generally know about church. Mm -hmm. And only very few have ever, and ever really heard the gospel mm -hmm. preached to them. Right. I'm sure we'll get into this as we begin to dig into the Frankfurt Declaration, but of that 0.2% that would be involved in evangelical churches, uh, how many how many of those people would agree with the Frankfurt Declaration or would have signed on to it? Because uh, I believe uh, I listened to you speaking about that. And when you started the process, there were a lot more people involved. And as you began defining the, the declaration, people began leaving. Um, so what what percentage of that 2% are actually, you know, Christians who want to live out their faith? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to, to, to really say. Um, but, um, you know, and I, I think, I, I believe, at least I want to believe, and, and I hope I'm right, that regarding the normal Christians, the normal brothers and sisters in the pew, I believe that many of them, actually, Frankfurt Declaration, then with many pastors, mm. I believe what we have seen is that often pastors were the, were the main problem during COVID, at least here in Germany. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's probably a very small percentage. So um, if you look at, at, at pastors, I, I don't think that more than 10% of, of those really would agree with the Frankfurt Declaration. Mm -hmm. um, in Germany, most, most were just um, believing everything the media was telling you, the state was telling you, and, and just going along. I mean, we're Germans. I have been known for a long time to be very... Um, you know, to, 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 yeah, to, to always do what the state says. So yeah. it's, uh, and it showed during COVID. Yeah. It is totally different, for example, than in America. Americans, it, it was obvious that they love their, their liberty. They love their freedom. They are willing to, to disobey. They have a just a completely different view of the state than the Germans have. We believe the state is, is essentially good and what they, they are telling us the truth and so on and so forth. So yeah, to get back to your question, I, I believe it would only be a, a small percentage of this two point, uh, of this point two percent, 
that would actually agree with our uh, approach to COVID. So Canada, Canada is similar in the sense that the state enjoys or enjoyed before COVID a very high degree of trust from the majority of the population. And I would even put myself amongst those people. Um, if for no other reason, then there was, there didn't seem to be an obvious reason not to trust them. So I remember when the news of COVID was spreading, you know, it hadn't yet come to Canada, but there was, there was images out of Italy and this type of thing. I remember reading our state media um, because I had no reason to doubt what they, what they would say. I mean, there were reasons. I was somewhat ignorant, but... Um, but which, but that's kind of unique to Canada because if you know anything about our country, we've enjoyed a, a degree of prosperity and peace. I mean, the wars that we've fought in have been on other shores. Like we haven't fought a war on our shores for a very long time. And so there's a, there's a cultural naivety that, that takes place where people can't imagine the state being anything but good. But but why do you think it is that Germany would have such a high level of trust in the state? And did that ever wane? Like did did people ever not trust the state, or or is this kind of a German cultural thing? So I think it it has something to do with German culture. We like okay. to submit to authority, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> We are good soldiers, you know, yes. we do what, what we are taught to do. Yes. Um, what is interesting, you know, maybe I want to answer your question in, in two ways, because um, as you probably know, after World War II, Germany was split. Yes. We had the, the, the West Germany, um, which belonged to the West, basically. Mm -hmm. And then we had uh, the, GD, the, the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, mm -hmm. which belonged to the, so not to the Soviet Union, but was basically part of the entire system that mm -hmm. was the communist country. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, the, the resistance against, uh, and the, against the COVID regime was, was much, much stronger in the, in East Germany. So the former wow. uh, communist part, right? Because mm, they know that they, that they need to distrust the state. They have another mm. view of the state. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and it, w when they see the state coming back, encroaching back on all your rights and liberties, uh, they, they remember, well, we, we, we had that before. We, are, we know that. And, um, so their resistance was much stronger in, in West Germany. Um, even though, of course, we had, you know, uh, you would, uh, you would think that we know that the state can become evil, right? After mm -hmm. the Nazi regime, mm -hmm. uh, you, you would think we have learned that lesson, but actually we, we didn't. Because mm -hmm. we believe, well, oh, those guys, well, they were really bad. They were evil. And then similar things begin to happen during COVID. Mm -hmm. And everyone thinks, well, yeah, but, but we're the good guys. Yes, so, right. um, I sometimes, I sometimes <clears throat> made some, you know, draw some parallels between what happened during uh, the Nazi regime and happened during COVID. So mm -hmm. this, 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 mass psychology and then you have the, the new scapegoats and so on and so forth so i think mm -hmm. there are, there can be some yeah there are some parallels you can draw um but people wouldn't understand that because no no th those were the evil nazis we are the good guys yeah we're right 
but the Nazis didn't think of themselves as evil. Yeah, you know, they also thought they were good. So, and I think we we haven't understood that. It's, it's, it would seem. Right? Yes, it seems like part of this theologically <clears throat> is that the church and the culture has lost their understanding of human nature and human depravity. And that our understanding of evil and the way that it works is so juvenile, uh, is so um, unbiblical. So, you, you just make the point. I mean, the Nazis didn't view themselves as evil, right? And, and what, what regime ever views themselves as evil? None of them. No, no, no <laughs> regime markets their regime as the paragon of evil. They, they, they promote themselves as a paragon of virtue and righteousness and peace and flourishing. And to stand with them is to stand on the right side, ethically and, and morally and socially. And to oppose them is to be on the wrong side. So, it's, it's almost as though people could not believe the state is evil because the picture of evil in their mind is something that is, that is totally foreign to Scripture. And um, so, so ironically, the further away we get from the Bible as a culture, the more entrenched in wickedness we become, but the less able to see it. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, you know, actually, actually it shouldn't, shouldn't have been so difficult to, um, to, to, to realize because, you know, those people we are talking about, um, they have been, they have been involved in slaughtering babies for decades. Yes. They have been involved in, in all the sexual perversity and so on and so forth. So why would we still think, oh, those are the good guys? Yes. Their, their deeds were, or their evil deeds were already, uh, yeah, you, you could all, all already see them. Um, and still we think, no, they are the good guys. Mm. Um, so it has, I think it also has something to do regarding the church. Yes, I agree that we don't, don't know. We don't believe in the dep- depravity of men. We don't believe that an, any man could actually be that evil, mm-hmm. right? And then also we we don't understand anymore what evil and good is because that has been twisted in our in our um, cultures for for decades. Yes. So it, well, it, it's it's a good thing to have an abortion. Yes. It's a good thing to be gay and so on and so forth. Yes. So everything has been become so twisted that we cannot even really tell what evil is when when we when we see it right in front of our eyes. You know. Yes. So that that leads me to a question about your experience through the COVID era. Um, could you share with us, when did you begin to think something wasn't right? Yeah. Um, right at the beginning. Really? So, because, yes, because I had, I had listened to what, um, what the, the state and the media um, had been saying in the beginning well, it's, it's not, it's not so, it's not so dangerous. It's not risky. It's, it's basically a flu. Yes. And then suddenly the narrative changed. Mm. I thought, what, what's happening here? And, um, there were two, two, two doctors, one doctor, one professor, um, Germans, um, who, uh, on the internet, on YouTube published videos and, 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 and telling people, well, it, it's actually not that bad. And, and I believed them. They, of course, were later canceled by, by YouTube and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, all the, all the cancellation stuff began. But in the beginning, you can still, you could still access their videos. And what they said made a lot of sense. And I trusted them. And I thought, well, something is wrong. But, um, 
you know, and then the first lockdown came. So everyone was saying, no, there will never be a lockdown. A, a day later, they said, okay, there will be a big, a, a, a complete lockdown. <laughs> so I know, okay, those, they, they have been lying to us. Yes. They said, no, 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 no lockdowns. And, and the next day, yeah, there will be a lockdown. So I know, okay, they are lying to us. I cannot trust them. Mm. And, um, and especially regarding, um, church services. When they said, okay, I think it probably was the Thursday or so. It was close to the weekend. And they said, okay, now it's lockdown and also all church services are prohibited. You're not allowed to have church on Sunday. And I immediately know I will not obey. I, I want, I, I have to have church on Sunday. Mm. And you know, actually to be, to be, you know, I actually have, you know, regarding those things, obeying the state, my, my conscience is, is rather weak. Mm. You know, if, if there is a, if there is a zone where you're not allowed to, to park your car, I would never park it there. Mm. I can't, yeah. So I, uh, I believe that I should submit to the state when, uh, in general. But when, when this law came and they said, well, you're not allowed to have church service on Sunday, it was from the beginning, it was clear to me, I will not obey. Mm -hmm. And I never had a bad conscience about it. I knew that's the right thing. I cannot obey. Mm. So, um, I sent, I sent an email to, to the church. We, we could not meet as an entire church because we don't have an, our own church building. We are renting other buildings and the buildings were shut down. So we were not able to get in. So, so we said, okay, we, we will split up. We will meet in, in smaller groups, uh, in, in different houses. And we did it all very secretly. So, um, we didn't dress up. We didn't carry our Bible under the mm. arm. We left the, the, we left our mobile phones at home. We parked two streets away. So it, yeah, so really to, um, yeah, to not draw any, anybody's attention. And, uh, yeah, and that's how we, how we did the first lockdown. I'm, I don't remember exactly what six, six weeks or even longer, but that's how we got through the first lockdown. We just met in secret and right from the beginning. And, um, and it, and, and then it just became more and more obvious, uh, how, how many lies were told, how evil this actually was. And, you yes. know, in Germany, uh, it, it reached, it reached its high point when, the state and really basically everyone who had some, had something to say in, in the state, uh, the, the chancellor, the president, everyone said we need mandatory vaccination for everyone. Mm. So and that was really the high point where we thought, okay, how can we survive in this country when they want to force us to take the vaccine, yes. which many of us did not want to take. Mm -hmm. um, and thanks be to God. Uh, it was obvious that God intervened. Because mm -hmm. they, they postponed the vote. Yeah. They postponed it further and further. And suddenly, uh, w when they finally had the vote, they didn't get a majority. So it, it was amazing. Everyone said, of course, we need that. We want that. And then they did not get the majority. So, but, but wow. that was basically the, the most critical time when they wanted to, to mm -hmm. have mandatory vaccination for everyone. So one, one question I have <clears throat> for you personally, brother is, how did you, is it, was it just your conscience um, and the conviction of the spirit in your conscience that led you to have a, a, a basically a more biblical understanding of the church state relationship off the hop? You know, you say you just knew that it was wrong to cancel church or had you developed these theological convictions, which would later go on to be reflected in the Frankfurt Declaration. Like did you did you already have this theology beneath your feet when no. you went into the lockdowns or did you have to develop that along the way? 
Yes, I had to develop that. So that never yes. really was an issue during my lifetime, at least. Mm-hmm. So I yes. didn't, I didn't know anything about it, basically. I just knew I, I cannot, I cannot stop worshiping God. Mm. That, that's, that's not possible. I have to go, I have to go to the worship. I have, have to have a worship, worship service on Sunday. So, but, but I, I also knew that that is not enough. I knew it was right to, to, uh, to not stop worshiping mm-hmm. God, um, in, in the, in the assembly, right? But I knew, um, I also have to have the biblical foundation. I need to be able to, um, to argue that not just from my conscience and general principles, but really from the Bible, especially Romans 13, with what, which was uh, thrown around a lot by those who were demanding yeah. total submission to everything the state said, right? So I knew I had to develop this. And again, um, brothers from America and also from Canada uh, w- were very helpful in that. I listened a lot to James White. Um, I, I then listened also to, um, to James Coates so, uh, and, and others, Jacob Riome. So many brothers from Canada and America who also thought, thought through these things and preached about them. And this was very helpful to also develop my theology. And then I also preached a sermon on Romans 13, as, as far as I, I know, I think it's the only real sermon on Romans 13 in German. Mm. Of course, many t- said something about it, but oh, very superficial. Mm. Yeah, just to say, well, see, you have to obey. And, um, and this sermon was, um, was viewed a lot. So it, I think it made an impact. Uh, and, uh, and, um, yeah, but I also had to develop that. Well, that's, I mean, that's <clears throat> very encouraging that your conscience was, so refined i i i mean i feel bad just listening that i feel bad that we locked down mm-hmm. in the beginning and that that wasn't my impulse um and, and yeah that's something i certainly grieve and um i definitely didn't have the theological basis for the nature of the state and limited authority uh and the nature of the church and these types of things so um Mind if I ask Go a question? Go ahead. Uh, you were in Canada at the Church at War conference, and you gave a brief address um, sort of describing what caused you to become more open and vocal in your um, resistance. Yes. Can you tell our listeners a bit about what brought that on? I, I found that, that very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so, as I said, we resisted from the beginning, Um we tried to submit to those things we could, we could submit to. Well, when the state tells us, well, have some uh, hand sanitizer there, we can have some hand sanitizer. That's who cares. Yeah. Right. But if, and if they tell, tell us to have, um, well, I'm not sure if you're, if you're using the metric system, if they tell us to have two meters, the pews have to be two meters apart. We can do that. And then it, we were able to fit a hundred people in. And when uh, the, the hundred and first came, well, then the pews, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we made room for yes. him as well. So um, we, we tried to obey where we could obey, but many, many things we couldn't obey because we thought this is actually evil. This goes against our conscience. Um, but we tried to, 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 to stay below the radar, right? We, we try to be, to do everything in secret. So resist, but mm-hmm. secretly and, 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 and to be honest, fearfully and just hoping that the state will not come, that no one will call the police and so on and so forth. Um, so I, 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 I openly and, uh, uh, admit that I was mm-hmm. afraid. And I, I, I do that gladly because it's not about me. I'm not a great man. I was afraid. And, um, 
but, but then something happened. Um, and that was when I heard that uh, uh, Pastor James Coates was imprisoned. And it had such an impact on me. I, I didn't know him back then. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to know him now, yeah, but I didn't know him uh, back then. But it was, you know, it was like, like my best friend was imprisoned. I know this is a brother mm. and he's just like me. He's fighting the, the, same, the same fight and, and he is now imprisoned. And I, I, I cried and I wept and it was, yeah, I was just very, it struck me very hard. And then, but, but what, what happened? You know, you, you, you could think, well, okay, maybe now I should be even more afraid because look what's happening in Canada. Maybe that will happen here too. I don't want to go to jail or so. But the opposite happened. God used that to make mm. me courageous. I, I basically, I thought, okay, they, they want, they want war. They want to, to put, to put my brothers away in, in, a, in a high security prison. Okay. You want war? You get war. <laughs> yeah. So I have to do something now. <laughs> I have to be, become active. Right. Um, so, and that's when, when we started as a church to become more vocal, mm-hmm. we, we published a, de- a declaration. Uh, you know, there, there, ha- there has had been a declaration by more than 50 leaders, pastors and other Bible teachers and so on from Germany and, and Switzerland telling everyone, well, submit, submit. Yeah, do everything they wow. tell you, and we took that uh, and and uh, and published a response mm-hmm. to that, and showing how this was wrong and what was actually biblical, encouraging people to to not stop worshiping and not stop singing and not stop um, hugging each other mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And that was the first mm-hmm. declaration we published, and and other things followed. Podcasts followed. My sermon on Romans thirteen followed. Another declaration. Uh, we even uh, wrote a letter to to the leaders, to the politicians, and so on, uh, tell, telling them, you know, you want to have this mandatory vaccination. We tell you right now, there are many Christians, or, or at least some Christians in in the country, which will not mm-hmm. ha- take it. We cannot. We uh, it's against our conscience. Uh, we cannot act against our conscience. We cannot disobey God. No matter what you do, you can ruin us financially with fines and so on. We will mm-hmm. not submit. Um, so we became, we became courageous. Yeah. But this was, through, uh, this was all through the suffering of the brothers mm-hmm. in Canada. Not, not just, uh, not just James Code, then also Tim Stevens, this heartbreaking video, uh, where he was ripped out of, of, of the, of the arms of his crying children and so on. Th- this made me, you know, this made me really, uh, upset. I, I, I got angry. And I think it was a holy anger. I think mm-hmm, it was a good mm-hmm. wrath, yeah, to say, well, this mm-hmm. injustice has now gone mm-hmm. too far. I cannot be silent anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to speak up. Praise God, brother. That's, yeah, it had the same. I think we were both impacted. Yeah. Um, Jeremy's pastor and our good friend, Jason, is a good, is good friend to James. And, and it definitely landed very hard on the community here as well and strengthened us. You know, the courage of those brothers, really, the Lord used that to strengthen the church all around the world. And so we praise God for that. Um, So then what was the, at what stage did you put together the Frankfurt Declaration then? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't my idea, Um, but I was contacted. I was contacted by a brother from London Mm. and he had this idea to bring together uh, pastors from basically all over the world, including Africa, North America, the UK, Europe, um, South Africa. Um, and they, and, and to, yeah, to have a, 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 some sort of declaration 
like, basically a global declaration. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't really, really remember right now when we started work mm. on that. Um, I think it was early 2021, but I'm not, not so sure. Um, and then I think you mentioned that already. Um, we, we realized that we were going in different directions and, um, only three of us split up, split off of this bigger mm. group. And, and we continued the work on this declaration in, in, in the form we wanted it to have, yeah, to, to be. So we three agreed. It was a, um, a pastor, Stephen Lloyd from France. He's an American missionary to France. Um, and then, uh, a, a brother, a pastor from South Africa, um, Paul Hartwig and myself. Mm-hmm. And we got together on, on Zoom regularly, worked on this declaration. Um, and, uh, and when we basically said, well, I think we are, we are almost through. We, we began sending this declaration to, to some of our friends. For example, James White, uh, Joe Boo, mm-hmm. James Coates. Mm-hmm. So some of, of the friends we had, we, we sent that declaration to them, asked for their opinion and, f- um, and for their corrections and ideas. And, um, but, but you know, we never, we never even thought that this would get as big as it, as it, as it, as it got. Um, I thought, well, okay, you know, James White is my friend, so he will probably sign it because, because he's my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but who else wants to sign it, to be honest? Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, no one knows me. So why should anyone say, Oh, I want to sign this declaration? Who is that guy from mm-hmm. Germany? Um, and it was amazing. The, the exact opposite happened. Um, I, I sent it to more and more people and almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone said, I'm yes. in. I, I'll sign it. Yeah. Uh, started with then James White, Vody mm-hmm. Borkham, um, Doug mm-hmm. Wilson, and, and then even John MacArthur. And that was, that was basically most amazing because I, ha- I have a friend who works at, uh, at the church there in, um, in Los Angeles. And he basically told me, you know, I will try to get that somehow to John MacArthur. I'm not even sure if I will be able to mm-hmm. get through to him. I'll try, but I have to tell you, it's basically impossible that, that he will sign this. Uh, because they, they, they hadn't been involved in, in any of the drafting. I thought, okay, yeah, good. And, and then in the middle of the night, I got an email. He wants wow. to sign it. And it's, yeah, it was really amazing. <laughs> so it, it was God do, doing this because no one knew me, no one knew, knew the other guys who draw up, yeah, who draw this declaration. So, um, mm. it was amazing what God did. So that so many men and, and, and well-known men of God, uh, joined this mm-hmm. declaration. And and we see throughout church history that times of crisis are also used by the Lord as times of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And one of the opportunities is for us to refine our understanding of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the nature of His authority and relationship to all human authority, and including the church. And so, as difficult as that time was, I mean, the Frankfurt Declaration is a unique document. It's 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 not just more more words. It's not white noise. Um, mm-hmm. It's a document that probably wouldn't have been written five years ago. No. Because, uh, one, why would we need a document like this? And um, we hadn't put as much thought. I would actually like to just read a portion from the first article, because it's so good, and then maybe we can comment um, on this. So the article one is about God the creator is sovereign, lawgiver, and judge. And there's an affirmation and a denial. The affirmation is this. 
We affirm that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the personal creator of all things visible and invisible, the blessed and only sovereign, and the ultimate lawgiver for all human conduct. We believe that he is revealed in the Holy Scriptures and the conscience of men an unchangeable morality which is rooted in his own character and which defines the nature of good and evil conduct for all people at all times. As the lawgiver God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I mean, the first thing you notice when you read that is it's basically scripture verbatim. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the scriptures aren't in there, but you're, you're basically just summarizing verbatim biblical, well, just scriptures, verses, hardly even summarizing. Um, I like how this is an affirmation and a denial. So the affirmation is that God has ultimate authority to determine what is right and wrong. That's right. Perhaps we could, we could summarize that. But listen, most Christians would say, sure, like who, who would deny that, you know, amen. And, mm-hmm. um, sure. But then in the denial, it's, we read that we therefore deny as an implication of this biblical truth, that impersonal matter is the final reality behind all things. And the belief that human conduct is merely biological or sociological is a biological or sociological phenomenon. Since God is the ultimate lawgiver and judge, we deny the right of any earthly authority to define morality and require unconditional obedience of their citizens when contrary to Mm -hmm. his law. And this is where a lot of Canadians do not flesh out what they say they believe. You, you, what Canadians and uh, Christians in Canada would say is you cannot expect the state to abide by Christian morality. Right. Because well, they're yeah. not Christians. We've separated the idea of this law that comes from God's character, as you described there, from the idea of morality. Mm-hmm. Somehow those are different categories in our mind. Mm-hmm. And we say, well, God is allowed to dictate the morality, but not the law. That belongs to the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you want to maybe, or did you have a question well, on that? Well, it's just, I love how they articulated that if God is the supreme lawgiver, right. And the one who determines based on his character what is right and wrong, uh, that authority has not been given to anyone else. Mm-hmm. It cannot be given to anyone else. And um, as Christians, no matter where you land on a particular moral issue, what all Christians should affirm is that God alone has the absolute right to determine right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And what a, sadly, many Christians in Canada, and I think in the West in general, have ceded this statist view, this authoritarian view of the state, which is that they actually do possess the authority to determine what is right and wrong. And if you combine that with a, with a twisted version of Romans 13, which requires absolute submission to those claims, you have... Uh, the recipe for idolatry, and which is why we try to drive home not only in this podcast, but in in our churches, that your theology of the church and state and the authority uh, of each is not really a political issue at the bottom. It's actually a worship issue. It's who is God and who gets to be God 
and when you say that the state has the authority to determine right and wrong, you are you are implying that they have an authority which only God possesses. And so for Christians, this isn't just our our private religion has been, you know, we're on we, we our private religious practices have been disrupted and we're pleading for some special treatment mm-hmm. or something. That we need to say publicly, as our brother has and all of the men who are involved in this to Caesar that Christ is Lord and that, that you are that you are not Lord. And this is, I mean, this is keeping with what Jesus actually did tell Caesar. You know, render to Caesar what's Caesar and to God what's God's. And Christians focus on the first part and forget the second, that Jesus was limiting the authority of Caesar, which of course Caesar is not going to do. He's not happy about that. No. no. Why would <laughs> why would the state limit their own authority? Yeah. So, so the Frankfurt Declaration stands in a long and noble tradition of Christian, not only Christian resistance, but Christian worship, which seeks to elevate the authority of Jesus Christ and his word and inherently limits all human authority, whether in whatever sphere that that is, to its, to its rightful place. Um, and go ahead, know, actually, if, yeah, if you wanted to, to, um, to check whether this is true, um, Well, who is the judge of the whole whole earth? Yes. It's God, right? Yes. He will judge everyone, the living and the dead. According to what standard will he judge them? (laughs) According to the standard of the laws of their state? No, according to his eternal law. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why you have to obey God rather than man, because the ultimate judge is not the judge on this earth, is not the state. They can can only kill your body if they they want to, right? Mm -hmm. But the ultimate judge... Which who determines your eternal uh, state? That is God, and He will not. Ju- he will not. He will judge according to His law and His moral standard, and He will not um, bow down to any state laws, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think the church, I think what the the COVID situation revealed is that there are basic fundamental beliefs that a lot of professing Christians have given up on. You know, that do you do you really believe that Christ is Lord? Do you really believe that He is going to judge the living and the dead? Yeah. And do you believe that there's one ultimate standard of righteousness um, by which we will all be held to account? Or does everyone kind of get to make up their own rules? Every culture, every nation, you know, every political group, do we all get to determine what is right and wrong in our own eyes? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the COVID situation was a more of a revelation of the rot that was already there, you know? Yeah. And what we need is a robust recovery of Jesus Christ as Lord, as judge, as lawgiver, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, ultimately, this is, this is about the worship of the church. This isn't just our, our, us veering off into politics. This is about who is Jesus who does he say he is, and do, do we actually believe that? Yeah. Um, one one of the things we've joked about on the podcast is I don't know about you, but we are accused of being political, and I find that ironic because I was even thinking last <laughs> week about if you go into another church during COVID, there'd be literal signs from the politicians posted from the government yes. <laughs> posted from the government like stay this far apart you know do this hand sanitizer no more than this that's like the churches the plastered state propaganda everywhere for people to see in their church are telling the people 
maybe we should keep the state out of this, yeah. that we're being too political. Many of those many of those churches also allowed their pastors to draw a salary from the from the government as well during that time to make yeah. up for the lost tithing. Yeah. And uh, that sounds pretty political to me, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, actually, I think what what we well, there are many things we can learn from COVID, but one thing I at least learned was, um, you know, actually the the church thinks too small. We mm. think, well, Jesus is head of the church, right? He's our king. No, he is the king of of the whole earth. He's king mm. of of everyone. Mm. He's even king of kings. Mm. So. And then what the church has done, at least in Germany, I believe, is probably very much the same in Canada. We, ha- we have become very pietistic. We think, well, yeah, it's our church and we are Christians and, but, and, and Christ reigns in, in the church and his law reigns in the church. But we, we need to think bigger again because when the church and the Christians in general, it, when we withdraw from any realm of society, when we withdraw from politics or whatsoever, well, who will fill that empty space? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, if, if it's not God and his law, well, then it will be a demon and, 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 and their laws, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. um, I think that is important to understand that there is a fight going on. There is the fight, uh, good against evil, uh, the spiritual fight. And when we withdraw from that fight, and we're not fighting anymore, um, you know, we, we will not only just be safe in our church and, and the rest will go, go to hell in a handbasket. No, but actually they will come uh, against us one day. Mm-hmm. They will not leave, leave us our freedom in our church, even or in our families. Mm-hmm. So, um, we cannot wait till, till they bring the war into our private homes or into our churches. No, actually we have to advance. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to fight the darkness. We have to get out there and preach the gospel again and, and go against the evil. Um, and, and we have the, uh, you know, God, God, Christ promised us that, uh, the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should give that a try yeah, and see how far back we can push the gates of Hades. Yes. Amen. Yeah. yeah we need to stop being on our heels and we need to start um, moving forward by God's grace. Yeah. Or uh, I believe Joe Boot puts it this way to assert the rights of King Jesus. The crown rights. The crown rights. That's right. Yes. And amen. Yes. Well, um, maybe we could close discussing your book. So you published a book as well in the mm-hmm. not too distant past, and that was with Ezra Press and a partnership yes. with Ezra yes. Press. Right. And, and so it was talk to us about that. Yes. So I, I even I even found a copy. I really had to search, <laughs> but I still have one. So um, I hope you can see that. Resisting, so resisting tyranny. Um, this was first published uh, in, in Germany the German version. And then, um, uh, it was published also by Ezra press by Joe boots, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, publishing house. Right. So, um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, it's, it's a great honor to be published, uh, in America or just in the English speaking world as, as, as a German pastor. I don't think that happened too often in, in the last years. So mm-hmm. I, I know Luther has been published, but, it's, uh, but it was times, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was really, you know, it, it, to be, so to be honest, it was really humbling. And, and I was very grateful that, that I was uh, allowed uh, and granted the privilege to um, translate something and, and publish it into, 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 uh, um, in English. So this is basically um, a compilation of uh, of sermons, declarations, letters, and so on and so forth I wrote during COVID. Mm. 
Uh, we talked about a few of them. I mentioned the letter to the, all the politicians and the leaders. We talked about the Frankfurt Declaration, which is also in here. Um, but every, basically everything, at least everything really written out, yeah, which I did during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is here. And, it, it, um, and, and even more than that. So it's not just things I did, but there is also an article by John MacArthur, uh, why why he signed the Frankfurt Declaration. There's an article by Jacob Riome. Uh, the foreword has been written by James White. So mm-hmm. others were also in, involved. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope, you know, even though some of this is in, from a German context, I believe because COVID was 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 global a global phenomenon yes i believe this will be helpful uh, for everyone also for canadians for americans um because we were not only dealing just with with a specific situation in germany we had, we were dealing with with basic stuff mm-hmm. we talked about this with theology what is the church what is the state um who is christ what mm-hmm. is his authority so i i hope that i i hope that this book will will be able um I hope basically that, that it will accomplish three things. One, to be a, a, a witness to what has happened, to mm-hmm. all the injustice, and so that this will not be forgotten. I hope this will, will help that those things will not be f- forgot. Um, then I hope it will help to, to really educate and, and, and help p- people in the, in the understanding of those theological issues state church relationship and so on and so forth when when mm-hmm. can we resist when do we have to resist mm-hmm. um and in the end i hope this will encourage people mm-hmm. um encourage brothers and sisters to to be faithful mm-hmm. and to be courageous because um even though i am a post-millennialist and i i believe things will get better one mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. Uh, i believe they probably will get worse a little bit mm-hmm. so um i'm not sure that um that this was the last time that we need to think about these things and right. And act courageously and faithfully. Mm-hmm. So probably something else will come up um, soon. So I hope this will also help us just to equip the church and to be to be faithful when the next thing mm-hmm. comes. Amen. Do you see any um, connection between the nominalism of your day and the nominalism that uh, existed prior to the Reformation? Is there a connection there? I mean, it seemed like there was such a fertile fertile ground for Reformation at the time. Um, are there any similarities? Uh, do you take hope in the fact that there's so much nominalism and, you know, the target is huge, yeah. essentially? Yes. So, right. So I think w- w- when things get worse and worse, what will happen and also happen also during COVID, men will stand up and w- will get more courageous and, and will, will really, really join the fight. And once we fight, once, once the bride of Christ fights, Christ fights with her, right? So mm-hmm. I think we will advance. Um, so right now in Germany, you know, I see, I see some, some of that, I believe, happening in America and Canada. You know, many of those churches who have been faithful, they, they, they grew, they basically exploded in membership, right? So I, I'm a little more hopeful for America and Canada. In Germany, we didn't really see that. So I, I believe, I believe Germans still have to probably have to experience even worse things until they yeah. finally wake up. I believe that um, whenever you have a situation where, um, where, where things are really dark, men will step up and uh, the church will begin to fight again. Mm-hmm. And this will advance the kingdom. And um, yeah, the, the thought I, I wanted to finish is, is also that, uh, you know, I, I believe in Germany, we still, we are still not there. 
Mm. Yeah, I see some hopeful signs in America and Canada, but I think in Germany probably things have to get worse before they finally begin to start to get better. We are still very much asleep here, uh, the church, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it will happen. I think there will come this breaking point when everyone realizes um, we have no way to go anymore. It because all, everything has become so evil, so mm -hmm. wicked, um, that, that they will be, begin to to look for something that is true. Mm -hmm. And the only the only alternative you have is Christ. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, we want to say thank you for joining us. And uh, as much as you were encouraged by the suffering of the Canadian pastors, we were encouraged to see someone standing up uh, on the other side of uh, the Atlantic as well. It was very encouraging for us. Amen. I'm just going to close with, uh, with a couple verses from uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole in the whole world it is now bearing fruit and increasing. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, brothers. God bless. God bless you. God bless you.